Every day, 130 Americans die from opioid overdose. Some of us are in invisible prisons today, even as we try to appear free. Sales of alcoholic beverages are up 55% compared to a year ago. I believe God's going to set you free. Welcome, friends, to another episode here on the Recovering Reality Podcast. Hope this is finding you well. Today, I have an exciting guest, a, a little bit of a, of a different topic this morning, at least for my audience, um, but I'm very excited to, to have a conversation with uh, my new friend, Andy, Andy Sheckman. How are you this morning, man? Uh, it's, uh, I'm well, man. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, brother. Yeah, no, you're you're welcome, man, and you're 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 coming to us from the free state of Florida as well. Yes, indeed. After spending 50 years in Minnesota, uh, where I used to tell myself that living in sub-zero weather for four months out of the year built character, I realized <laughs> I was just uh, just lying to myself. And uh, you can build character in the sunshine as well. And uh, look, I'm not a hater of Minnesota, but. I left at a period of time, voted with my feet, if you will, where I felt as though the politicians in Minnesota kind of turned their back on on, on the people, uh, letting the city be eviscerated. The third precinct uh, police station burnt down on television, national television, the disassociation with the police, the rampant rise in crime um, at a, in a city or a state where Little House on the Prairie was filmed. I loved growing up there as a kid, raising a family, went to the University of Minnesota. I was proud to be from Minnesota uh, until I wasn't any longer, and not even lacking pride, but concern for the safety of my family. And um, it, it turned into a city and a state that is hard to recognize. I will always uh, miss uh, Minnesota and my friends and family back there, but I'll tell you something, moving to Florida is a whole different experience and it's just been great uh, to feel free again, I guess you could say, which is, I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but as close as I can where, you know, um, free and safe, much more so than I did in Minnesota where I would have told you my whole life is the safest place in the world to live. So, you know, life is a is a series of chapters, and and uh, I, I guess my feeling is either you roll with the changes or or you get rolled over by them. And so I rolled with the changes and moved my family here to Florida nine months ago. Well said, man. Well said. We moved down here um, June 2020. We were in Ohio, uh, San Diego, ten years before that. Me. Um, you know, my wife and I've been married almost seven years with three boys, but we were living in, in rural Ohio and good people. The weather is atrocious up there, as you know, more so than I do in Minnesota. Uh, but yeah, it was the same kind of thing, man. Just uh, have a high value for freedom. And we saw what was going on down here and uh, there was a lot of lockdown and restriction stuff in Ohio. And that was a big part of the reason for us coming here as well. I'll tell you what, apparently it's a big part of the reason for a lot of people coming here. Cause what I have gathered is that on average, somewhere around 900 people a day are moving to Florida, I think is yeah. the, that, that may have, that's maybe leveled off a bit, but it's, there's a, people are flocking here. Well, you know, I know a lot of what you talk about relates to 
mental health. And I have three kids, one of which is a senior in college, one of which is a senior in high school. And the youngest is a freshman in high school. Living back in Minnesota last year as an eighth grader, I watched a transformation um, where she was locked down uh, in Minneapolis in the winter without a car because she was 13 at the time. Her older sister, who had a boyfriend in a car, could have a semblance of normality with her boyfriend. And the two of them could be together. Uh, both sets of parents said, fine, you know, this was when no one knew what was going on, right? And so, okay, fine, you guys can be together. Just, you know, be smart. We don't know what this virus is all about. But she could come and go. My youngest, I watched a departure, um, being locked down, being locked more or less relegated to her house in her bedroom most of the time, out of depression, I think, because in Minnesota, in December and January and February, it's really not conducive to hanging out with your friends outside for extended periods of time. Ohio's uh, very similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I watched the transformation, her mental health transformation coming to Florida. It's like a flower opening up again. And so I think a lot of what, you know, drove us here as well was just the concern that if we saw more lockdowns being locked in our house was not something I was going to inflict upon my family. So that was the best idea for us moving to Florida is that even in the unknown, not, not knowing where we were going to go, the ability to be outside and uh, was, was at least enough for us to say, yeah, time to go. So anyways, just a little anecdote about what the lockdowns were to us up in the north uh, in, in the middle of winter. It was, it was tough. It was a tough go. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of similarities for myself and my family as well. A lot of similarities there. Well, Let's dive into this, man, because I'm excited to, to introduce you to my audience and cover some ground here. I'll start by saying this so my audience knows. Technically, you're my dealer, man. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I think not, my, not audience, kind of my audience is going to hear that a little different than you are, but I'll explain no, it. I get it. I got you, brother. I got um, you. Met Andy uh, through a friend and have been getting my, my gold and silver from, from Andy. And why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what it is you do, Miles Franklin. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, man. Uh, yeah, my father and I started this company together 32 years ago on a wing and a prayer. Uh, we come from nothing at all. Uh, my father's middle name is Miles. Uh, his best friend who loaned us $60,000 1989 to start the company middle name is Franklin that we bought him out two years later uh, but on a wing and a prayer we built a company on a loan uh, my parents sold their life insurance policies uh, in a one-room office the size of a big closet um, to a company that's done six billion in sales over 32 years without a customer complaint ever we have become U.S. Mint authorized resellers, one of only 24 of those appointed ever in the world, an honor I'm really very proud of. Um, we have never had a customer complaint. We have A-plus ratings with the Better Business Bureau. We built, I guess you could say, a business on the back of the American dream. And I, you know, I'd like to think that 
that dream is still alive in, in this country. But when I look back at what we've had to endure and how we had to get here, I don't know that I could ever do it again. It, it's uh, it was a long haul to say the least. But nonetheless, uh, we uh, here we are, 32 years later, and um, you know we're we're very proud of our reputation. I think our reputation is the best in the industry. But I left my corporate office in Minnesota, a state that doesn't care about our reputation whatsoever because of that, because it is a federally non-regulated industry, precious metals industry. Minnesota, on the other hand, is the only state in the entire United States that regulates what is a federally non-regulated precious metals industry. So we are beholden to the Commissioner of Commerce in the state of Minnesota with annual background checks of everyone, myself included. If any of us had a felony at all related to financial services, we're disqualified from ever working in the industry again. Uh, continuing education, compliance, and a very large surety bond, which is the delineation, really, uh, that has um, levied us to to a, a position of being held to, to much higher standards than the rest of the industry. Almost every company in America has boycotted Minnesota as a result, because if you own a company in Ohio or in Florida or wherever it may be, and you sell into the state of Minnesota, if you're not licensed, bonded, and background checked annually by the state, they'll shut you down and they'll sue you. So all the online companies have boycotted Minnesota. Uh, we embrace it. And while it is somewhat onerous, the obligations, the, the paying for the bond, the background checks, the personal guarantees of the surety bond, all this kind of stuff, continuing education, compliance, while it is somewhat onerous and, and adds uh, complexity and um, uh, time and effort and money to the equation, to the bottom line, it does hold us to a much higher standard. So while we'd like to boast about having the best reputation, it's also the safest transaction in this industry, hands down. And the state of Minnesota and our US Mint accreditation stand behind that. So that's who we are. Uh, embodiment of the American dream who, you know, my parents were hippies and uh, never in a million years would have thought that uh, we would have, my dad and I would have built something uh, that, you know, that I can look back on with great pride coming from nothing. And uh, here we are 32 years later, still kicking. I love it, man. And I, uh, to be completely forthright, I trusted you because I trust my friend. Who got it from you? That's why I did, okay. and I got, um, and, and that's when I started. But my experience has has been good. Has been it's it's just been appreciate seamless. that. It's been seamless. Appreciate so that. I, I I can attest to that. Well, let's dive into this, man. So I'll tell you a, a tiny bit about me, and and I love uh, I love that you guys just started with absolutely nothing and have built something that has just been very beneficial for many people. Uh, sustainable, constant growth, integrity. I love it, man. That is that is the American dream. You started in an office the size of a closet. Yeah, I love it. I love it, man. You know, for me, I just <clears throat> I, I never really grew up with any financial understanding. It's not taught in school. I, I I think I think a lot of people can default to that as an excuse in this day and age. When the truth is, is that you don't need to go to school. All the information's out there. If, if you really want it, all the information is out there and you can find it and it's free. Books, podcasts, YouTube, courses, wh whatever it is, you can find very solid 
good information on how to educate yourself financially. But I never did that. I was never taught it. I never, I just, and, and I was always behind. I was always behind. I never got in a massive debt, but I was always behind month to month, falling behind. I just never, I didn't understand it and didn't, it was too much for me. So I never even embarked on the journey, you know? And it was about, I would say, uh, four years ago-ish. I, I really started to learn slowly but surely. I'd say in the last two years, it's really picked up the pace. And in the last two years, probably because I have just, um, I just dove in. I've just baptized myself in it, for lack of a better way to say it. Listening, understanding, paying attention to the markets and the world economy and all that, all that stuff. Um, and it's been so refreshing for me. And I've been able to grow in, in a lot of different ways. And um, I am extremely grateful for that. That being said, a little bit about my journey. How, how do you feel in this day and age with mental health raging, addiction raging? How do you feel that a, a lack of financial understanding, a very, very low financial IQ feeds into that in some, in some ways? Well... <clears throat> You know, learning basic economic principles like compounding interest, uh, working for you instead of against you, you could say it's the eighth wonder of the world. Um, learning basic fundamentals about staying out of debt, uh, paying yourself first, which is something my grandfather told me a long, long time ago, and it's always stuck with me, always always pay yourself first. I'll, I'll dovetail that. I'm going to tell you a quick story about starting my company and then I'll, I'll transition. I think you'll see where I'm going with this. I went to the University of Minnesota, wanted to be a baseball player. I hurt my knee Love freshman baseball. year. Yep, that was my game. And I hurt my knee, started the company with my father. I was 19 years old. Wow. I'll be 52 this summer. And my dad said to me, Andy, there'll be one rule and only one rule or I'll fire you. All right, Dad, what's that one rule? I can deal with that. He said, you're going to buy something every two weeks, every two weeks. So whether I buy some Silver Eagles like this, you know, whether I buy one, whether I buy 10, whether I buy an ounce of gold, doesn't matter what I buy. I need to buy something every two weeks or he'll fire me. At 19 years old, I say, Dad, if that's the only rule, I can deal with that. Um, here we are 32 years later. I own the company. He's not my boss any longer. He's retired, although we're, we're, we're still partners. In a sense, uh, I've honored my commitment. You're not going to fire me any longer, but I have honored that commitment whereby every two weeks, I still purchase something. For 32 years, I have never uh, not purchase something every two weeks, every paycheck for 32 years, because I've paid myself first. Uh, I have, I have uh, become my own bank, my own IRA. Um, if you don't pay yourself first, if you don't get into a habit of, of financial health, uh, it will spill over into mental health very quickly. I mean, when you talk about when you look at leading causes of divorce, right up at the very, very top is financial. Money, it's very yep. stressful. Uh, if you don't allow the laws of compounding interest to work for you rather than against you, 
you end up in the hole. Like how many people understand, do you know what the rule of 70 seconds is by chance? No. Tell okay. Me. Well, this is something that they ought to taught us in elementary school. They should have taught um, us a lot of things about finances in elementary school. Of course, school. <laughs> like even how to balance a checkbook. But let's talk Pay about taxes, the rule of 70. Tax write-offs. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All of it. But the rule of 70 seconds is something that we all should have learned. That's a mathematical law where you take the number 72, you take the interest that is being charged to you or that you're charging someone else, and you divide it into 72, and it tells you how long before your principal doubles. Ever wondered why it's 18% interest on credit cards? Because 18 times four is 72. If you take an 18% interest rate and you're, all you ever do is pay the minimum balance, in four years, that principal is going to double. In other words, if you're just paying the basic maintenance, you're never eating away at the, the, the actual principal of the loan, you will double that loan in four years. So when you talk about basic economics, basic mathematics, here's a good example, the rule of 70 seconds. Another good example, paying yourself first, getting ahead. And so if, if you put, you know, even if it's $100 away every two weeks or $50 or an ounce of silver or whatever it is, you have to pay yourself first because otherwise you're constantly, constantly chasing and trying to catch up and, 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 you know, keeping up is one thing, getting ahead is another. There's a, there's a poll right now that says 65% of Americans in this country are living paycheck to paycheck. Over that amount, 65% are living paycheck to paycheck. Almost 70% can't write a check for $400 to take care of, of an emergency. And so when you talk about mental health and financial health, they are very, very much linked. You know, Money doesn't buy happiness, but it, it certainly is a lot easier than being unhappy and broke. And, and I say that to you as someone who's come from nothing. Yeah, I remember too. when I started my company and, and you know, going to my parents and saying, look, I can't pay my bills. I got no money. Uh, so I come from nothing. And uh, yeah, we've done $6 billion in sales, but we started at the very, very, very bottom and, and learning to pay yourself first, to build equity in your, in your own future is the best advice I could ever give anyone. And when I hired my brokers, when I hired my assistant, his name is Justin. Justin uh, is a recent graduate from the University of Minnesota School of Business. He's a young man. I told him, you miss a two-week period, you're fired. I said, you will buy something for yourself every two weeks or find a new job because it was the best gift my father ever gave me, ever. And my entire life is teaching me how to, to be an adult and how to save and how to take care of myself and my family first. So I think there is a massive correlation, more so than people think, between finances, uh, financial health and mental health. I think they go hand in hand. Not to say that people with money don't have problems, but I do think it's just one other problem that you can check off the list if you have not even financial security, but let's call it um, financial independence, where you can, where you have money put aside, where you're not concerned about an emergency, where you have savings. And it's really, really, really very important in my opinion. The most important thing I would tell any, any younger person asking me that question, pay yourself first and learn the laws of compounding interest. Do not let the laws of compounding interest work against you. Let them work for you. Pay off your debt and pay yourself first. 
those two things will allow you to get ahead in life faster than anything I've ever experienced, or at least in business. I love that. You know, and the way I look at it too, when the money's coming in, I mean, I mean everything we're putting our money on is an investment. I don't know if everyone realizes that. I mean, food, uh, we're paying for the house. We're, m- most people's initial investment is uh, maybe alcohol. Maybe it's Netflix, um, junk food, uh, going out to eat. Uh, I mean, I got Netflix. We go out to eat. I'm not saying those things are bad, but the perspective of shaving some off the top to invest in the future for myself and my family, it's a very, very simple, extremely beneficial principle that I just, I wasn't applying for the longest time. My investments for so long where I was going to things that were dragging me down. I mean, even when the drugs and alcohol I had left, you know, this, when there's not enough finances and there's always this fear of not having enough in the future, you're just living stressed. And when you're living stressed, you're not thinking and seeing things clearly. And then my investments coming off the top were always short-term things that were not leading me in a healthy, powerful direction. But what it is you're saying, I started doing that for myself and my family two, three years ago. And it just, it adds to the peace. It adds to the confidence. It adds to self-control of your own situation. And I've been practicing what you've been saying, maybe not every single two weeks, exactly way you said it, but I've been doing that and I can test to it. It has been, it's extremely beneficial. It's been extremely. Hey, even if it's 25 bucks, always. Never find a reason to not pay yourself first and your family. You deserve it. Your family deserves it. And, um, you know, life is kind of like a roll of toilet paper in the respect that when you're young, you don't notice it spinning. But as you get older, you are aware of the faster it spins and the closer you're coming to the end of the roll. Now, I say that tongue cheek, but it's true. And so it's never too early to start. And uh, even if it's a $20 bill shoved into a pickle jar, you know, in, in your bedroom, paying yourself first, you'll always, always feel good about it. And it gets you on a path, just like in a, a path to recovery. This is a path of, of financial recovery or a financial freedom or financial health. It's, it's really very, they're very symbiotic. They're very tied in. And when you talk about uh, restraint, you have to use restraint in recovery. Well, you need to use restraint also in uh, um, spending money that is discretional. You know, I mean, where are you going to spend your discretional money? You're going to spend it on a six pack of beer. You're going to spend it on a on a bag of weed, at, uh, or you're going to spend it on on yourself, on your family, on on putting money away aside to um, to get ahead. I look, you know, I get it. You know, I, I, we're a little bit more connected than you think. Like I said, my parents were hippie growing up, you know, uh, drugs and, and sex and, and alcohol were, were something that were not foreign to me at all. Um, so I get it. I mean, th- there is a very, very, very similar path, I guess you could say, between falling off the wagon uh, whether it be in in uh, recreational drugs or in the way that you prepare for your future and the way that you your financial health is uh, maintained, I think, and I'm not being tongue in cheek. I really do think that they are more similar than people think. They both take 
you, you have to employ discipline. Uh, you have to think of yourself first. Uh, you have to work to get ahead and always strive to take care of yourself first, whether it's your financial health or, or your personal health. They're connected. And I think one without the other is incomplete. Well said. Throw this out there. You say uh, pay yourself first. Uh, other than setting aside a little bit of money, you mentioned gold and silver, like name a couple other things. What's what's some really beneficial? Education, things? education, uh, reading, like you said. You know, do you know what the largest asset is in the United States, as according to the 2021 balance sheet of the U.S. government? Hmm. Student debt. They consider the debt of our oh, children. Oh yeah, if I would have the actually thought for one second, I would have got yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you talk about a college level education being available for free, you're right. It is. It's right there on in front of you. It, it you have um, every college in the world at your fingertips on your computer, just about. Uh, and so education, uh, understanding what it is that uh, is happening in the world. Uh, is, is very important. And I think it's important that you have to use alternative media sources. One of the biggest disappointments for me over the last two years is the lack of objectivity by our media, um, the lack of journalistic integrity by our media, and the censorship uh, that we see across the board. So in order to really understand what's happening, you need to go to alternative media channels online. Uh, and I think it's very important. And I think people need to spend just a little bit of time every day uh, enriching their mind as well by reading and getting ahead and taking the opposite viewpoint of the establishment. Um, because they don't tell us what's, what's really important. I'll give you another example. You know, we talk about a government that's printed $9 trillion over the past couple of years, 50%, actually $12 trillion. But 50% of every dollar ever created in the history of the United States has been done in the last two years. Uh, when we talk about financial literacy or understanding things, a simple statement like, how long ago was a trillion seconds? You know, it sounds a trillion is no big deal, right? The government just spent 12 trillion in infrastructure and, and, in, and in stimulus and uh, keeping the wheels going during COVID. Tr can't be that big, right? There's a lot of millionaires out there. What's a trillion? A trillion seconds was 31,688 years ago. Understanding the size and the scope, understanding what's happening, being able to talk to people, but understanding how it impacts you, your finances, your future. Um, these are what I mean by paying yourself first. It doesn't have to just be financially. It could also be education and getting ahead. And you don't have to go and, and, and enroll in college to do this. Spend a half hour a day reading uh, what's going on in the world. Choose sites like Zero Hedge as an example. ZeroHedge.com, great site, not perfect, still a little bit biased, but gives you information that you're not gonna find anywhere else for about two weeks before it's published or talked about on the mainstream. Spend 10 minutes a day reading a few Zero Hedge articles. Um, you know, exercise, getting, uh, you know, get out and go for a walk. I, I do podcasts four, five, six, seven a week. I'll go out and go for a walk and put my, my AirPods on and listen to other commentators and, and, and expand my mind so that I'm able to talk to people online and not sound like a dummy. 
little things that you can do will go a long way. And um, I, w- I would say mental health, physical health, financial health, they're all tied together. And, and that's what I mean by paying yourself first. If you are always grinding and trying to just stay afloat, you never get ahead. You have to exert the effort to get better. And that requires paying yourself first, whether it be education, exercise, or financial health. And it doesn't take a lot, but it takes, um, it takes habit forming, a pattern. Intentionality. Yep, absolutely. And that's why I say the things that I do every day are very similar to the things that you teach your, your people in that it's, it's never easy. It takes commitment. It takes a a pattern. And once you deviate from that pattern, that's when bad things happen. So I I just, um, I would say they're, they're all tied together. And, and, and the way that you get healthy mentally is the same way you get healthy uh, financially or intellectually. It just takes work, takes effort, commitment, follow through, and putting yourself ahead of of the demons. And that that's the hardest thing to do. But I get it. That's well said. I appreciate <clears throat> you elaborating on it. Well, so so let's segue into this, man. So it's basically impossible for anyone in the world to not know there's some stuff going on. It's been going on for a while. It's been escalating been compounding a lot of these crazy things that are going on um what are what are some what are some things to be concerned about in the global economy and in the american economy but that might be within our control like things that we can things that we should be concerned about and how should we be positioning ourselves inside of these because of, of there's just certain like come on man i can't get putin on the phone and there's certain things that are completely out of our control, but there are things that are within our control in the midst of all of this craziness. What's your, what's your view on that right now? All of the things we just talked about is the first good step, but you know, look, one of the things that has made me successful is being objective. And if you are not objective in life, I believe it's very transparent. I think I think I would have been a good attorney because when I whenever I have a discussion with someone or an argument, I try to put myself in their place first. I try to understand what the way they're thinking and work backwards. I try to avoid conflict by understanding your perspective best I can, try to put myself in your shoes and work backwards. Um, and I think that's that is is really, really, really very important. And so, in other words, um, you know, you can't control the world. You can't, but you can, like I said, you can work backwards from the goal. What is your goal? Is it financial independence? Uh, then the first thing you need to understand is that, in this case, here's where education comes into play: that the dollar is being destroyed. You can go all the way back to Roman times um, where they would issue silver coins. And towards the end of their dominance, they started to shave the coins. So they would, and this is why when you look at a coin, this is why you see those ridges. See those divots around the edges. Yeah. I don't know if you can see it's probably 
Let's see if I back it up a little bit. Yep. The ridges on the side there. The reason they have ridges is that if, yeah, if you cut around the edges, they'd be gone, right? So in Roman times, they'd shave around the coin, making it smaller and smaller and smaller. That's debasement. That is inflation. And so what governments have chosen throughout all of time is inflation over austerity, which means the tough decisions. Uh, and, and I think if you realize that where we are right now in the cycle, now I don't want to get too far into economics here, but to simply feel say free. We are we are in a in a bad place as a country with our currency because we have lowered interest rates so low that has pushed up all asset prices to unrealistic levels. And so the government is in a tough position if they try to uh, fight inflation by raising interest rates. All of the pillars of wealth in this country, stocks, bonds, and real estate are inversely correlated to a rise in interest rates. Um, and as interest rates rise, as they try and fight inflation, you see a crashing stock market, a crashing real estate market, a crashing bond market. Let's look at it the way most people can understand. If you can buy right now a, a mortgage with three or 4% interest rate on the mortgage, a uh, $100,000 loan will be between three and $4,000, uh, um, or excuse me. Yeah, that's right. That's mm -hmm. right. Yeah, that's, that's about right. About three or $4,000 uh, per month on a mortgage payment, right? And so, uh, I don't think that's right. Is that right? That would be right. Yeah, I guess it 3 would be. 3% on a hundred grand? Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. About three or 4% or three or four $4,000 a month. Yep. If you raise rates to 8%, First house I bought in 1994, interest rates were eight and seven eighths. So let's call it 9%. That's three times the cost. So it starts to substantially diminish the ability for people to buy homes uh, that could afford it at three grand a month, maybe can't afford it at 9,000 a month. So the point of it is, is that as interest rates rise, it will start to affect dramatically the real estate market, the bond market, which where bond prices and interest rates move inverse of each other, and the and the stock market, <clears throat> where if you can if you can buy treasuries that pay nine percent, why would you ever speculate in the stock market? Remember the rule of seventy seconds: nine into seventy-two is eight. So if you put a hundred thousand dollars into U.S. Treasuries in eight years, it becomes two hundred thousand without risk because you're being guaranteed payment by the US government. Now there's other forms of risk that we don't need to get into, but the point of it is, is that rising interest rates will, will really, really hurt the, the markets badly, will create a depression. Uh, and so if they don't do that, then they let inflation run away. And as inflation goes higher and higher and higher, the cost of everything goes higher and higher and higher. Look at what it costs to go to the grocery store right now. Look what it costs to fill up your gas tank. Look what it costs to heat or cool your home. These are numbers that aren't going away anytime soon. In fact, I think they'll only get worse. And this is what you do to protect yourself. You get out of the system. You buy some silver. You buy some gold, which have been wealth for 5,000 years. Yeah. Wealth that has outlived every pandemic, uh, German hyperinflation, the Great Depression, two world wars, and everything in between. And gold and silver are still wealth. And so what can you do? You can do the best you can to remove yourself 
from the system, which is bearing down upon us. And you do that by buying things that are non-dollar denominated. You can get out of debt. You can pay off your debt as fast as possible. You can accumulate things just in case. You should have a few weeks worth of canned food, freeze-dried food, a couple extra cases of bottled water. If you believe in guns, you should have a gun and, and ammunition to protect your family. You know, uh, they said that the Titanic couldn't sink until it hit a, a life. I mean, until it hit an iceberg. They didn't have enough life rafts on the boat because it wasn't going to ever sink and people died. You never yeah, want to. It was going to ruin the aesthetics to put more life right. boats. It made no sense. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you can take steps to protect yourself and your family as small as they may be. Paying yourself first, protecting your family, whether it be by food, uh, a gun, um, uh, precious metals, small bills. You should have as much cash as you can have at home in small bills, uh, whether that's $500, $5,000, or anything in between, 10s and 20s, because you look at what's happening in the Ukraine, you look at what's happening in Russia, run on the the banks, lines down the street, ATMs empty. When things go bad, cash will be king for a while. So you can take steps to protect yourself. And you know what? If you take these steps and it never happens, so what? So you got some extra food and water. So you got some silver and gold. So you got some extra cash that you can go spend on a night out with your family. Whatever it is, these are, are very modest steps that you take to protect yourself, to, to pay yourself first and your family. These are the things that you can do that will add to your mental health and your financial health. Because you, when you know that you've got your bases covered, that if the shit hits the fan to whatever degree, you and your family are protected. The best of your ability, you feel stronger as a human being, as a, as a father, as a husband. Um, and you know that you've done what you could within your means um to do your responsibility as a family man or as a just as a person and because you know you get to an age mom and dad aren't there to protect you anymore you got to do this yourself these are the things that i teach my kids and uh you know um i i think for me it's been the the greatest single um factor for my success is taking accountability you know, we're accountable for all our actions from the time we're little kids. Uh, but the financial side of things, people don't take enough accountability for. And I think you start young and you let compounding interest work for you at a young age and you start putting money away at a young age. I don't care if you're 12 years old, buy a silver coin with every allowance or every paycheck you get as a paper boy or whatever. One silver coin, put it away, whatever it may be, because it's wealth. It's not an investment to me. It's wealth. And uh, just like, you know, taking uh, stock in your mental health, taking stock in your financial health will, I think, greatly enhance your overall health. Uh, and I don't say that to be tongue in cheek. I really think it's, it's the truth because I come from nothing. And I remember what it's like to have nothing um, for a long time. And um not to say I don't have problems that everyone else does, but it's a lot nicer to know that I have taken care of myself and my family. Priority number one, every paycheck I've had for 32 years, even before I had a family. And it uh, goes a long way, really does. And it starts to build on other areas of your life. I would agree. I would agree. A couple of things are coming to mind. One, I want to I drop this in here and then I want to um, 
get your feedback on something, you know, even, even we look at this from a biblical perspective, a lot of people don't realize this, but Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell combined. He talks more parables about money, mentioning money, stories about it in there. Because, and I believe the reason being is because he understood how it would, it had the ability to control and manipulate our heart. It had the ability, it has the ability to make us stress, worry, see things way askew. It has the ability, it, uh, it, it gives other people the ability to control and manipulate us as well. And so just an understanding of what wealth is, how economies work, how finances work, how these things work, just a basic understanding that's constant, that we're constantly expanding on, as we've been talking about, it does, it does wonders for our peace. It does wonders for our confidence, um, peace of mind, these different things. So I would, I would agree. I would agree. What did, what did, what did he, what did Jesus call money? Tell me, tell me, talk about gold. I don't know how many times it was mentioned. I haven't Googled it, but if you Google how many times gold mentioned in the Bible, it's many hundreds of times. Silver, many too. hundreds. Yeah. I realized this recently. There's only, there's three, there's three metals in the Bible that were used as money. Uh, that's gold, silver, and copper. Copper was as well, which I've been studying more and more. But let me ask you this. I didn't realize till maybe, gosh, a little over a year ago. There, the difference between that there even was a difference between currency and money. And what's the difference between currency and money? And why is that important to understand right now? Well, there's, there are six characteristics of money. Um, and I don't have them off the top of my head. Let me just look here real quick and I'll expand upon them. Hold on a second. You'll understand why I'm going to Google this real quick. Please. Please. I learned this recently and it was really helpful because I'm, I, I began to learn. Well, I'll, I'll let you elaborate on it and chime in. But uh, right, here are the six characteristics of money versus currency. The first is durability. Now, um, money has to be durable. When you talk about this, you could you could pull a silver or gold coin off the bottom of the ocean floor a hundred years later, and it'll still be fine. Uh, you, you you have to have durability in money, and you could argue that. Uh, U.S. dollars are durable. I mean, you know, the coins are, the actual physical money can be torn or whatever, but let's just call it, it's durable. Uh, portability, um, you have to be able to take it with you. So when you talk about in terms of durability, you can't use uh, like uh, porcelain vases because they can break. Uh, in terms of portability, you can't use um, oh, like uh, you can't call a cow money or a camel money. Uh, because it, it's not easy to carry it with you. Um, so you have to be able to stick these in your pocket or in the case of digital money, what, what not, it carried on your phone. So it has to be durable, has to be portable, divisibility. You have to be able to divide it. And so when you talk about gold or silver, gold, you can, you can cut it into tiny little pieces. You can stretch it into a, a strand uh, uh, that will go miles long from an ounce piece. I mean, the the divisibility is there, and and with dollars too, with with uh, uh, dollars so far, the currency that that we call money, the dollar bills, they're durable, they're portable, they're divisible. Uh, uniformity, so you can't use uh, seashells as money because they're not uniformity. There's there's different 
there's there's variability in in seashells, um, but dollars are uniformity. Uh, so is gold and silver. So you take a piece of gold or silver and bring it to any corner of the globe, and and it is uniform. Uh, there's a, a uniformity in it, whether you mine it in China or in Russia or in the United States or at any corner of the globe. What you pull out of the ground has uniformity. So do the dollar bills. Uh, where it deviates is the last one, and that is limited supply and acceptability. So when you talk about gold and silver, they are limited in supply uh, as to what you can pull out of the ground. But when you have a government that with the keystroke can create 50% of every dollar ever created in the history of the world or the United States in the last two years, that's not limited available supply and acceptability. So you're talking about the ability to inflate. And so this is where there is a, de a, a delineation between money and currency. That is currency. This is money. It fits every one of the six characteristics. And I think, I'm not, I think it was um, like Aristotle. I don't, I'm not going to spend all the time looking online here, but this goes way back, way, way back. I think it was Aristotle who, who coined the six phrases or the six uh, characteristics of money. The last one being limited supply and what differentiates. See, uh, if you look back here, let's see if I can turn this up here. Those gold coins and those bills, what they say here, these are old gold certificates and it says payable to the bearer on demand in gold coin. Now, this was prior to 1934 when they stopped making gold certificates. Um, and it, same thing on this silver certificate right here, it will say payable to the bearer demand in silver coin. These prior to 1934 was money. Our U.S. dollars were money when they were backed by gold and silver because they were limited in supply. The rule was you can only print as much money as you have in gold and silver behind it. Right. And so that was money because it met the definition, all six definitions, durability, portability, you know, and, and limited supply and divisibility, all of the things, but limited supply. So when you have, when you lose that sixth characteristic, you deviate from money to currency. Once we close or severed the tie between gold and the dollar, it lost its definition of money because it was now not limited in supply. As many as you can print is what you have. And so that is the big difference. And this is why gold and silver are money and have been since Bible, biblical times, over 5,000 years, because it meets all six characteristics. And in particular, the big one, the big deviation, limited in supply. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, those... Uh... In, in up to 1934, I believe he said someone could just go into a bank and they could give them that note and in exchange be given as uh, the, the price of gold and silver for it on the spot. They made the bills until 34, but the currency, gold was confiscated by President Roosevelt. If you look back up there, that's President Roosevelt up there, if you can see him. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, just to the uh, other side of it is the decree under executive order. First act in office in 1933, is another one right here. First act in office in 1933, April 1933, confiscated gold. Um, so, but yeah, uh, that is true. So uh, that 
$100 gold certificate, you could have brought in and got five $20 gold coins. That coin up there is a $20 gold coin. About, about an ounce of gold. It was the same thing as a $20 bill uh, in prior to 1933. Here you have five $1 silver dollars and a $5, this is called the Una Papa certificate. It's the only time they used a Native American on a U.S. Uh, bill. But point of it is, is that, yes, they were interchangeable. They were interchangeable because they were pegged to one another. And the reason they made the bills was that it's a lot harder to walk around with a pocket full of gold coins than it is uh, a, a gold certificate. But they were indeed interchangeable. You go into the bank, they'd give you gold and one-to-one. -one. And so um, that's when our currency was money. The deviation came when we severed the tie between gold, which was the peg, which was the governor, which was the string to the kite. No, you can't keep going. I'm holding you down. Uh, and when they cut that string, off it goes. And that would have been the, the pegging to the to gold that was severed in 1933 when they made it illegal to hold, but more so in 1971 yeah. when President Nixon severed the gold tie because from 33 to 71, other governments could turn in their uh, their dollars for gold at a fixed exchange rate. Without getting too far down the rabbit hole, what happened was towards the end of the Vietnam War, uh, de Gaulle, uh, the president of uh, France, realized that uh, we were printing more in the way of dollars and selling more in the way of treasuries to finance the war than we had gold at Fort Knox. So he started to send warships over from France filled with dollar bills to trade in for gold and started to bleed the treasury dry of all of its gold. Over 50% of the gold held the U.S. Treasury was um, taken by de Gaulle. And at that point, Nixon said, that's it. We're turning our back and on the world. We are breaking our promise and we are severing the gold tie. This last August was the 50-year anniversary of that. And there's been 50 years that the dollar has been backed by nothing. Taking it one step further, when we talk about what could happen to the dollar, uh, do you know what has given the dollar its world reserve status since 1974? Now, remember, in 71, we severed the tie in 71 to gold. What's given it its world reserve status ever since? I believe it's oil. That's right. And that's right. And it is oil. But more specifically, in 1974, Henry Kissinger flew to Saudi Arabia and struck a deal with the Saudi kingdom and said, we'll protect you. We will protect you. We'll sell, we'll sell you munitions and we will have your back, protect the Saudi kingdom. But for that, you will price oil globally in dollars. And to this day, uh, the U.S. is responsible. The U.S. dollar is responsible for nearly 100 percent of all settlement in oil in every country on the planet. That's why every country on the planet needs to buy dollars, creates this huge demand for dollars. And we have protected the Saudi kingdom exclusively since 1974. But speaking to education and our poor media, no one knows this because it wasn't reported. Unless you Google it, you'll find it. The day after we left Afghanistan recently, uh, very unharmoniously, leaving American citizens behind, uh, and I think there's no coincidence to this, uh, now, this is independent of what's happening right now with Russia and Ukraine, but Russia came out and struck a joint military cooperation agreement with Saudi Arabia. Yep. And they did the exact same thing with Nigeria the very next day. So here you have a military superpower with nuclear weapons who is now also 
protecting the Saudi kingdom. So if we were to wake up one day and see Saudi say, you know what? We've decided to open up the sale of oil to other currencies, ruble, yuan, yen, et cetera, like that, the dollar would crash because half of the world who doesn't want to hold dollars would choose other currencies or their own to buy oil and then they would dump dollars and sell it, which would create an inflationary tsunami when there's already high inflation here at the worst possible time, you would see a flood of dollars. There's more money outside the U.S. than there is inside the U.S. because of the petrodollar. Every country on the planet has to own dollars as the foundation of every other currency in the world. And so if that were to happen, now you see why you need to own gold and silver and not be totally, totally in bed with a, with a currency, the dollar, that ultimately is on the precipice of falling off and losing its singular world reserve status. And if that happens, you will very quickly hearken back to this conversation and remember what we were talking about of not having all your eggs in the dollar basket. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, there's a lot we're covering, but I, I think that uh, more and more people need to hear this stuff because the average person has, they're, they're, they have no idea. The average person does not know this stuff. You know, something interesting, is, uh, something else that's coming to mind is that a lot of people don't know this. In the constitution, it is written that the only form of money is to be gold and silver. That's in the constitution. Hmm. Yep, that's correct. And it's actually, it's considered treason to deviate from that. Uh, <laughs> our constitution is a convenient oh, document that the, the politicians use when it's convenient for them and spit on when they want to deviate from it. So yeah, probably more um, spit on than yeah. But you are right. Out. You are right. It is in the constitution uh, as has to be gold and silver is the only form of money. Being, because there's a limited amount there's a limited amount so people because they knew history and they knew that debasement of money uh just pumping up money doing whatever just creating it out of thin air america has been doing professionally for years creates massive massive problems and they yeah, knew gold and distortion yep. mm -hmm. gold and silver is going to keep things balanced mm -hmm. that's the idea yep all right. Well, we've covered a lot and it, you know, our conversation is just making me want to ask other questions and keep talking about other things, but I, I want to, I want you to elaborate on this just a bit as we close out here in the next little bit. I think it's safe to, I don't know what percentage, but I mean, I think it's safe to say the average person has absolutely no idea what the bank bail in is. So if you were to ask, if you were to go to the street in the public place and ask 50 people, I bet you might find one or two. Maybe, maybe that could tell you about the bank bail in. And I learned about this, gosh, I don't know, maybe a year ago or something. I saw something on it or started uh, and I, it's, it's mind boggling. I don't even know if that's the right verbiage for mm -hmm. it, but it's crazy. Explain a little bit. Let me see. And, and you feel free to piggyback off this, but I'll, I'll paint the backdrop a little bit. In 2008, it was the massive collapse and, uh, recession hit and whatnot. And much of that happened because bankers were literally placing extremely risky bets on the on society and they lost. <laughs> and the government came in and bailed them out. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of detail you could add in here and please piggyback off of it. But much has happened since then. And there's no longer a bail out. Now it is a bail in. Elaborate on on that. <clears throat> Yeah, bailout means the taxpayer funded bailing out of the bank that made 
You know, it's like you go to Vegas with your buddies and you put all your money on red 23 and it doesn't hit. And now, um, you know, you need to be bailed out by all your buddies or, or, you know, everyone else has to contribute to your poor decision to make you whole. Well, that's what a bailout was when it's interesting too, because the federal reserve told us that they bailed out the banks in 08 for $3 trillion. Uh, 700 billion went to TARP, 700 billion went to, uh, the infrastructure that created the Tea Party movement, three trillion to the banks is what they told us. People were outraged, right? Um, they sealed the records from 08 uh, and a group called the Levy Economic Institute just challenged the Federal Reserve all the way to the Supreme Court where they released the findings after 12 years of being sealed. We are told that $29 trillion was created to bail out the banks. And who pays for that? You and I do and everyone else in this country. Uh, they made it illegal subsequently. You cannot bail out banks any longer. It will be bail in like they did in Cyprus. And real which, quickly, anybody that wants a little bit more detail on that, a good movie on that to watch is The Big Short. If you want a little bit, little bit more detail in the behind yeah. the scenes of all that, The Big Short tells that story well. Go, go ahead. Great movie. Absolutely. Uh, bail-in means that you become a general creditor to the bank, and it's like bankruptcy law in the United States. So if if everyone has money in the bank and the bank goes under, everyone's money is is pooled together to in a pro rata fashion to bail in the bank to make the bank whole. So you are a general creditor of the bank. You you have no guarantee you will get all of your money back because it will be used to make the bank whole a portion of your funds. And they did this in Cyprus. Uh, and that is that's a radical right statement. Let, let me just, that's a radical statement you just made. Let me, let me just emphasize it real quick. So let's say there's some form of collapse again, all of our money that's in the bank, say someone's got a hundred grand in there. Okay. And they want to go get their money and things have collapsed. It is within the bank's legal right to tell you, we can only give you a small portion of it or we don't have it for you anymore. And they're not breaking the law. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't know what the number is. I don't know how it relates to FDIC insurance. In Cyprus, it was anything over 100,000 was used to bail in. So if you had 110,000, you may get your 100,000, but that 10 is going to be used to bail in. I'm not sure what the limits are, but yes, I you're think it's on 250. I think yeah, it's and anything I don't know above 250 FD... is not insured. Yeah, well, and I don't know if the FDIC limit has any, because the FDIC is woefully underfunded. If Wells Fargo went out of business, um, the FDIC would be bankrupt. Uh, so, you know, the FDIC is a bunch of crap anyway. I don't know what numbers they use for the bail-in regulations, but yes, you are exactly right. And they also did one other thing less known at the same time. It's called money market gating. Because when uh, Lehman Brothers started to go under, um, many of the money markets were invested in Lehman Brothers. It's called breaking the buck. When everyone runs out of the money market and the money market starts to lose value precipitously, uh, it, it starts, you won't even get your principal back. And so they put in laws at the same time saying if money markets start to collapse, that uh, it's gated, meaning um, that you can't get your money out. So between bail-ins and gating, it just simply means that you have inordinate risk with the banks that you don't think about when you factor against the half of a quarter of a percent you're getting in a savings account. When you talk about the massive inflation that's happening where your currency is losing between seven and 15% purchasing power per year right now, 
on top of only getting a half a percent return and you can be bailed in and gated, uh, it, it's not worth it. So basically what it simply says is it's shifting the burden from the taxpayer uh, to the depositor. And now you have to wonder, is, our, is the return commensurate with the risk? Normal times, there's not much risk. These aren't normal times. No, and uh, so, yeah, you need to think twice about leaving your money in the system. There's another reason to look to take some of that money and transition it into wealth, historical wealth, into real money. Yeah. Uh, and that's gold and silver. That's kind of where I come from. I don't sell gold and silver as an investment. I look at it as wealth. Yeah. Um crazy rabbit hole to go down that bail-in thing but uh it is true and anyone that's listening is like no 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 that can't be go do your it's own it's pretty homework. easy to all you gotta do is google uh, bank bail-ins and you'll you'll have more than you can read yeah yeah go do your own homework go do your own research it is is very real it's a it's a crazy time that we are living that we are living in that is that is for sure and I, there's a chinese curse that says may you live in interesting times so you know, this, these are anything but dull and complacent. So um, I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. And uh, yeah, you're right. Education is really important right now more than ever. I would agree, man. Look, I uh, can't thank you enough for coming on. A lot of this information is probably new for my audience, at least the most of them, I would guess. And uh, if you're listening and some of this stuff is hard to grasp or sparks your interest, Start doing your homework. Oh, it's all out there. All the information is out there, all of it. And let's say somebody is uh, interested in, in getting some, some gold and silver. Um, how is it they, how, it, how is it they even begin to wrap their head around that? Like someone's gold and silver, you know, somebody that's that far disconnected. Like, what do you mean buy it, keep it myself? Um, where would you, how do they contact you? How can they, what's the basics of beginning to start learning that? Oh, they could send us an email. They could send me an email at Andy at Miles Franklin, uh, mention Eric Fredrickson in the subject line, and I'll make sure that they get my personal attention uh, and the best price in the country. We'll answer their questions. We'll walk them through and help them get on the road to, um, to financial health as well. Uh, we will explain everything because the best asset you can own is peace of mind and sleep at night will help you understand what you're doing, make sure that it's a proper fit for you. And in a very conservative fashion, um, you know, get you on the right path. We are building a new website that will allow online purchasing in the next few weeks. But for right now, uh, an email at Andy at milesfranklin.com will send you a uh, inventory current. We will answer your questions and, uh, get you going and, and make it really easy and, and not threatening at all. It's, it's really, there's a very limited learning curve to understanding why to buy precious metals. And we will point you in the right direction to get you the most gold and silver for the least amount of premium and the greatest amount of flexibility. It's awesome. And he's right. I've done it. Hey man, I really appreciate you taking the time coming on. I know that Pleasure our, is mine. Uh, audience has grown from it. As Pleasure well. is mine. Happy to come back again down the road and um, uh, keep doing what you're doing and proud to be part of it even a little bit. I appreciate it, man. And uh, anybody that is interested, I'd recommend reaching out. Uh, just begin, begin learning. Now, you know, you might be a little bit behind with all the crazy stuff going on, but if you haven't started, start now. Start learning.
Have a wonderful day, man. You too, brother. Hope to talk to you soon. Thanks again, Eric. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Recovering Reality Podcast. Thanks for joining us on the Recovering Reality Podcast. If you're looking for more recovery resources to help you in your journey, you can access our YouTube channel, a free ebook, our podcast and blogs through recoveringreality.com. You can also connect with us about recovery coaching, sober companionship, or interventions. And if you're looking for treatment for you or a loved one, you can reach out to a very well-respected treatment center called Banyan Treatment Centers at 866-942-8154.